Welcome to The Higher Edge, a podcast for the brightest minds in higher education to hear from the change makers and rule breakers that are driving meaningful, impactful change for colleges and universities across the country. From improving operations to supporting student success, these are the stories that give you The Higher Edge. And now, your host, Brendan Aldridge. Hey, everyone, and welcome to The Higher Edge. I'm Brendan Aldrich, and I'm here today with Teresa Goddard. Hey, Teresa. Hi, Brendan. Teresa is the Director of Development Services at DePaul University, a residential liberal arts college located just 45 minutes west of Indianapolis uh, in Greencastle, Indiana. A fast fact, uh, DePaul University participates in the Monon Bell Classic coming up here in November, Voted Indiana's best college sports rivalry by viewers of ESPN back in 2005, DePaul University and Wabash College play each November in the last regular football game of the year for both teams for the right to keep or reclaim the famous Monon Bell. Now, I understand Wabash leads the series 43-38-6 since the bell was first introduced, and currently Wabash has the bell, so we're looking forward to reclaiming that this year. We are indeed. We plan on reclaiming that on DePaul's campus right around the corner. Very good. Well, Teresa, welcome, and thanks so much for joining us here on The Higher Edge. Thanks for having me. Teresa, I've been so looking forward to having you on the show because the role of advancement, or what's sometimes called development, can sometimes seem a little mysterious to people who haven't had the chance to know what it is that you do for an institution. Would you mind taking just a moment to briefly describe for everyone who might not know, what does development do? In a traditional sense, development by a lot of folks would just be simply fundraising, um, but now it's really termed as advancement, and that connects many areas, our alumni, friends, parents, um, engaging them with our institution. We're part of the community in which we reside, so it's important that we build and we expand those relationships with our community. Some examples at DePauw are the investment that some of our alumni have made in the Greencastle community, and it's just been fantastic to see those relationships development. So it's not only the ties of the institution within our institution, but it's how it ties the community as well back to the institution. And this is critical, you know, as we look beyond our walls of what our student mission truly is. So right. I mean, and and so critically important, even if it is somewhat different from the roles that most people are accustomed to in higher education, like faculty, advising, enrollment management, IT, and more. I'm actually a little more fortunate that I'm aware of the role that development plays since my mom did her PhD at UC Riverside and was director of development for the School of Education there. So the mission of community and connection resonates uh, for me and makes perfect sense. But tell me, how did your career lead you towards your role of development at DePaul University? It's kind of interesting, um, but very grassroots, I would say. Um, I'm a first-generation college graduate from Indiana State University. I'm from a very small rural community about 45 minutes west of here. We're famous for the Covered Bridge Festival in Park County, Indiana. My dad was a farmer. My mom was a stay-at-home mom and then worked outside the home some. So I went to college on a work scholarship, and I was determined to become the best college president executive assistant. That was really my goal. I started in a newly expanded development office at a small private engineering institution. 
started really learning what development was from the ground up because I was the support person for all the functions. Then I really started playing with databases, an old VAC system, and what is all this about? So somewhere along the line, when I had a two-year-old and an 18-month-old, I decided to go back to school <laughs> and get my MIS degree. That's around Y2K, and we need this new database system Lots because of you know every, everything was going to fall apart. And um, so that was my first foray into a relational database system. And I was kind of that technical, like I can figure this out type of a person. Um, and then I went to work for Ivy Tech Community College here in Indiana and did the same thing for the whole state and got to travel. The first day I got there, the system that I knew was being implemented, but some leadership said, hey, we want to go use this other system that looks really cool. You know, it's prettier, it's snazzier. So <laughs> long story short, we ended up implementing two systems in about 15 months. And, and not small, These, the systems you implemented, that was Banner and Razor's Edge uh, used yes. by many development offices. So that, yeah, they're big box systems, small offices all around the state at Ivy Tech, but we did, we did it. Small implementation team, and we put in two systems in 15 months to do all the fundraising for Ivy Tech. Um, I was driving a long commute, 20, an hour and 20 minutes one way, but wow. it was like my next step in the big bad world, I guess, um, at, you know, 38, 39 years old, whatever that was, but got a lot more experience, got to work with some consultants and that just kind of, you know, one thing led to another and it brought me back closer to home and brought me to DePauw about eight and a half years ago. So, um, it's been a great experience to just see the industry develop, see, um, systems and technology and really have made my career at a higher ed institution. You know, I, I realize as we've been talking that I've been using the words both development and advancement, which is sometimes used by both colleges or different colleges uh, to refer to your area. Uh, now, do you see a difference between the two when you think about development or advancement? Well, I mentioned it a little bit before, but back in the day, it was just development. Um, and development is fundraising. I answered a question in a very early interview um, is development people or bricks and mortar? And I answered bricks and mortar, uh, wrong answer, <laughs> because it is about people, it is about relationships. But that, that traditional development term refers to fundraising. But now that we are advancement, um, it encompasses so much more. You know, the typical model for fundraising is you get 10% of your donors give 90% of your funds during the year. Hmm. but it has to start much earlier than that. It has to start with engaging your young alumni or alumni that haven't been back in a long time or you know, friends in the community. You have to engage them first in order to get them uh, passionate and involved in, in what, your, what your students are doing in the different programs. So really the, the pyramid that we've grown up with in the fundraising world has been inverted. And it starts with those touch points and engagements of young alumni when they have families coming back to reunion weekends and having programs that are interesting at those stages of life. It's kind of like Maslow's hierarchy. Um, so I will credit Andy Reher, um, who's now retired, but he started a company that really looks at overlaying stages of life with development work and engagement and alumni engagement work and overlaying those two pieces to say, this is where you need to be spending your time. 
So colleges and universities now re- that used to refer to their organization as development are now advancement. They're doing the whole set of activities to move their student mission, their fundraising activity to move that along. Um, so it's just a new way of looking at the activities and how you can strategically and intentionally meet your constituents um, where they're at because people are more involved with their giving now. It's not just write a check and say, here you go, put it in the general fund. They really want to see the impact of their involvement, whether it be on boards, volunteering, or the impact of their gift. Hey, for everyone listening, hang tight. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be back in just one minute. All colleges and universities face challenges in advancing the mission of higher education. Some problems impeding your progress are known, but others are invisible, hidden, impossible to address. Invoke Learning changes everything. Built on revolutionary technology that's light years beyond anything you've seen yet, our leading-edge data platforms and deep analytic solutions give institutions of higher education some real-life superpowers to support the entire student journey. Ask questions you never imagined could be answered. Get unprecedented insights that lead to mission-impacting action. What's holding you back today from taking your mission further tomorrow? Find out and discover just how far you can go. Contact Invoke Learning at www.invokelearning.com. Invoke Learning. This is education empowered. Thanks so much for listening to our sponsor. Let's get back to the show. Well, as you mentioned, because if you're if you're moving from this world where it was, you know, uh, looking for investment or looking for donation, I should say, and then now really trying to focus on meeting people where they are, as you've mentioned, trying to engage with them, understand sort of what their interests are, what their tie to the institution might be. It's all about connection and engagement. Now, when you talk about, and you'd mentioned fundraising, I imagine it's not unusual for a lot of people to think about it the way we see it in the movies, right? I mean, this kind of more elaborate, high-end event with beautiful locations and everybody dressed up in tuxedos and cocktail gowns, probably before James Bond swoops in and and does something (laughs) big. But while I'm sure that kind of event does happen, engaging people the way you're describing probably means that there's a whole array of conversations and connections with people that go beyond just that kind of big high-end event. Isn't that right? Oh, absolutely. Um, There is very much a time and place for those large, extravagant galas, and many institutions will have those. We had one back in 2014, right after I started here at DePaul. You know, we kicked off our public phase of our uh, 300 million dollar campaign and it was you know let's all get dressed up we had a big tent and deposit known for tents from alumni reunion weekend and whatnot and yes those are big celebratory events we had an inauguration gala for our um, newest president dr Lori white last year fantastic but there are so many opportunities for folks to engage at a regional level So we have a lot of regional alumni associations. It could be surrounding just a geographic area, get together at a bar, get an update on what's happening on campus. Um, It could be small groups. We get a lot of feedback from weddings. 
that folks are attending. They send in their their news and notes. They want to you know, they want to let us know that they have um, you know met with their cohort and had a great time. But we can provide an update for what's going on on campus. We have a fantastic strategic plan in place right now, um, so people are fired up and interested about that. But sometimes it's one-on-one, -on -one. sometimes it's a small group, and we have to be very strategic and intentional about how we're putting those together so that we have the right message for the right audience. So you probably got a lot of things, for example, going on now with the, uh, the Monon Bell Classic coming up here shortly. Fall is our busiest time. We have, you know, the kids are all back on campus, the semester's underway. Um, we've already had family weekend, and it was a fantastic success. We are hosting Old Gold Weekend with a scholarship breakfast. That is a really rewarding time because our donors get matched up with their scholarship recipients. So that's another way of engagement. They can meet their students and hear their stories and see what they are doing on campus. And then of course, Moan on Bell is right on the heels of that. And I think we might even squeeze in a board of trustees meeting in between there <laughs> some, somewhere. Fantastic. Well, and, and there are, as we've talked about, so many ways that people can engage with institutions like DePaul as well. It's not just writing a check, although some of those ways uh, where it does involve a financial uh, donation can benefit people's tax situation in, in helpful ways. I wonder if you might share some of the different ways that you talk to people about how they can both engage and give to the institution. They can engage in a number of ways from volunteering, making a referral of a prospective student that they know to our enrollment management department. You know, sometimes it's just making that check out at the end of the year. So we have an incredible day of giving in November that will engage a lot of social media and challenges to raise, you know, donors and dollars. But there are, you know, so many ways that someone can give if they are passionate, they want to fund a particular project or just really, like you said, improve their tax situation, um, there, there are plenty of ways to make a planned gift. And I won't profess to be you know, an expert in this, but I can speak intelligently. You know, there's appreciated securities that will offer tax breaks. There are you know, instruments like charitable remainder trusts, charitable gift annuities, um, and even through a donor advised fund. You know, there's so many different avenues that someone can make a gift from. They can set something up that then provides them with lifelong income. But eventually, DePaul will benefit and depending on the amount, it could be in perpetuity with our endowment. I actually just recently learned about charitable remainder trusts. Right. And I thought it was fascinating that it was a way that you can, uh, you can provide a gift for an institution. Uh, maybe you're not being able to account for the entire gift as tax deductible that year, maybe less than you know, the full amount. Mm -hmm. But that it does act like more of an annuity where there's a certain percentage that's given back to the donor every year exactly. for a certain amount of time. Uh, so in, in some ways, you could still wind up receiving back over a 20-year period the same amount of your gift while the institution now has the original gift at some point to be able to now invest and act within its programs. Absolutely. Just being around the development world and learning so much about all the different instruments over years and years, it's fantastic how people can plan for their legacy at their institution that they're passionate about. 
which is a way for people to be able to donate or provide those gifts to help advance the mission of the institution uh, while remaining engaged with the institution themselves. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, Teresa, one of the things that I love to ask guests on the show is if you have a story or experience from your own career that helped shape the way you approach your work or, or even helped you think of something in a different way. So I wondered, is there something like that that you might share to help give our listeners the higher edge? I think everyone in their career, in their life experiences, you know, once you get to a certain age, you do reflect back (laughs) and think, how in the world did I get here? One thing that really sticks out to me is that I had a wonderful mentor and a vice president of development at Rose-Hulman Institute of Technology. He was one of the original folks in Indiana that got like college fundraising started back in the 60s and 70s. And his name was Ron Reeves, and he was a a graduate of Rose-Hulman and just basically took this young girl under his wing to learn all these things and then allowed me to start playing with data and databases and really fostered me at that point. So I, I really, I always think about Ron. Then when I was at Ivy Tech, you know, I was engaging with a lot of different types of people, different backgrounds and cultures. And even though it was Indiana, it was still a much broader experience, but I cannot really point at a person, I can kind of point to advancement services as where I found my niche, where I found my, where I got my chops and, you know, learning the industry, finding out from a conference that I really do know what I'm talking about. And then watching that expand as an industry, being a part of it, getting involved, you know, I go to these conferences and I'm like, I'm with my people. And it's very odd for someone in my line of work with data and technology to be as social as I am. Um, but there's a lot of us out there. And we just had an in-person conference in New Orleans. And there were lots of hugs and lots of, lots of drinks to celebrate being back <laughs> in person. But just plugging into those things and, you know, just we became a professional organization for advancement services about 15 years ago memberships growing. I'm now serving on the board. So I kind of look at that evolutionary process as what did it for me. I mean, plenty of people along the way, but it's advancement services as an industry. You know, it's interesting. I I think about that from the standpoint of my own career. I remember uh, I, I really enjoyed technology as well. And I worked a variety of different jobs in IT for about five years before coming across data, which is where I had built my career. It resonates with me that that was, it sounds very much the same for you, that, that idea of finding that place mm-hmm. where you're like, ah, this is, this is where I fit and how that can just mm-hmm. be the beginning of a, of a fantastic career. It has been. And I think a lot of other people in the industry, some of the giants that helped start this industry, I've learned from, from some of the best and being able to call them friends is absolute just icing on top. Well, Teresa, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your experiences with us. I appreciate it so much. I've, this has been a blast. Thanks for having me. But yeah, this has been fun. For our listeners, we've been talking with Teresa Goddard, Director of Development Services for DePauw University. Uh, Teresa, if listeners would like to reach out to you uh, in regards to giving or maybe just with questions about today's episode or continue the conversation, what's the best way for them to contact you? I would welcome anyone to visit our website, and that is depaw, D-E-P-A-U-W, dot E-D-U, 
forward slash alumni forward slash giving and we have lots of information there i'm on linkedin feel free to reach out to me on linkedin or send an email to teresa at thehigheredge.com and i'll get back to you as soon as i can perfect and that's teresa t-e-r-e-s-a at thehigheredge.com well, Teresa, thanks for so much for coming on and being a guest with us on The Higher Edge. Hey, for everybody listening, I'm Brendan Aldrich, and we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to The Higher Edge. For more, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform, leave us a review if you loved the show, and be sure to connect with Brendan on LinkedIn. Know someone who's making big changes at their higher ed institution that belongs on this podcast? Drop us a line at podcasts at thehigheredge.com. The Higher Edge is sponsored by Invoke Learning in partnership with Westport Studios. Views and opinions expressed by individuals during the podcast are their own. See how Invoke Learning is empowering higher education at invokelearning.com. Invoke Learning.